Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how leaders can lead in new and courageous ways. My awesome, wonderful, fantastic, super famous guest today is another Bill, Bill Treasurer who we're going to call Bill One because he's got way more kudos than I do. He is the Chief Encouragement Officer over at Giant Leap Consulting and Evangelist for Courage, a writer, speaker, and a consultant. Bill is on a mission to build workplace courage to deliver fantastic results. He is the originator of the new organizational development practice of Courage Building and author of Courageous Leadership, a program for using courage to transform the workplace. The program has been taught in 11 countries since its launch back in 2011. He is also the author of the international bestseller, Courage Goes to Work, How to Build Backbones, Boost Performance and Get Results. Over the past two decades, thousands of executives have attended Bill's keynotes and workshops from renowned organizations such as NASA. I love NASA. I've had two interviews with folks from NASA, uh, eBay, Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, USB Bank, the National Security Agency, and the US Department of Veterans Affairs. Bill's insights about courage and risk-taking have been featured in one, over 100 newspapers and magazines, including the Washington Post, NY Daily News, Chicago Tribune, and Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And of course, from this day onwards, he's also featured in the HR Chat Show. Bill, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Bill! It's great to hear from you. I'm looking forward to being on the HR Chat Show with the two Bills today. The two Bills, and I am very definitely Bill 2 to your wonderful Bill 1-ness. So let's get going. Uh, why, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Just take a minute and tell them all about your career background and what you get up to. <laughs> a whole minute for my background, that's terrific. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I grew up in New York, 18 miles from Manhattan, and then when I got into the workforce... I, uh, I got in the area of organizational development. I worked for a small boutique consulting company under the leadership of a gentleman named Dick Thompson, who was a former Green Beret in, the, in Vietnam. And then I went to a company called Executive Adventure, where I led experiential team building programs in the outdoors. And then I went for Accenture, and I worked at Accenture for six years, which is one of the largest management consulting companies in the world. I was their first full-time internal executive coach, and uh, once I left Accenture, I started my own business back in 2002, and in that time, I've been very fortunate to work with the clients that you mentioned, and I set up my company as a courage-building company. Having said all of that, the one piece of uh, my background that I left out, because it's not really my formal workplace work is that for seven years, I traveled around the world as a member of the U.S. high diving team, diving from heights that scale to over 100 feet, traveling at speeds in excess of 50 miles an hour, hitting small pools that were only 10 feet deep, doing 1,500 high dives, some of them on fire. 
very very nice and uh i was aware of that and we will be getting that bit in in your bio when this goes on the hr gazette as well because we couldn't leave that bit out personally i'm a terrible diver somehow whenever i fall in the water i always end up going uh belly first and it really really hurts listeners so uh, and, and, and actually um side, side note listeners i used to be a lifeguard so i should know better anyway let, let's let's get into let's get into the, the the bone the meat and the bones of the, the interview today bill um Got so what, what in what, what in your professional background led you to focus on courage well, you know, I got into a leadership role while I was a member of the high diving team, and I did a bad job of leading. And, and that's because my divers told me that. They said, you're a bad leader. And, uh, and that made me, you know, I sort of questioned myself. Why do I want to lead? Why do I think I could be in a leadership role? And I started reading books on leadership development. I first read The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. Then I read a book called Up the Organization. And then I read other books. And I got a little bit better at leading. But I got interested in the topic of leadership, and so I went to graduate school, and I did my thesis on leadership, and it sort of set me on my way. And once I went through graduate school and I got my first job, which was to work with Dr. Dick Thompson, who I mentioned, uh, that, that cut my teeth in organizational development. It was clear that I had a passion for this subject. I may not be a great leader, but I enjoy working with leaders and I enjoy observing leaders and learn so much from the leaders that I get to work with, then I take what they teach me and then I bring it to other groups. This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at Fidelo.com. That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O.com. You and the Giant Leap team have, uh, from what I've read, uh, conducted over 500 corporate workshops focused on strengthening leadership skills and improving team performance, accelerating innovation, love that word, and helping executives become more 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 courageous what what are some of the the common objections that you hear bill from from leaders who are maybe averse to to changing their behaviors when you first come in yeah it's a really good question bill what comes up for me is when i first started my business i started the business not as a courage building company but as a risk leadership company there had already been a lot of focus on risk mitigation and risk management, where you're trying to control, minimize, and mitigate risk. But I set the company up as a risk leadership company because at some point, even if you mitigate and control risk, you still have to take risk. Uh, yet when I would meet with executives, if I said that four-letter word, risk, they would chaff at that because they were all about, no, 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 we have to control risk. We have to minimize it. We have to drive it out of the business. And so I worked with a branding professional and realized really at the core of what I'm doing, although it involves risk leadership, what it really is about is activating the courage of executives so that they're willing to do bold things and then inspire bold leadership to get towards the objectives that they set when they set bold goals. So the, the common objective is, wait a minute, risk? We're not about that. Uh, but once we position it as courage, it becomes way more attractive for leaders to want to pursue. Okay. And uh, although you and your team are fantastic, I'm sure that uh, to really 
drill home the importance of the, of these initiatives and these programs and and to make sure that it's it's ongoing you probably need a little bit of help from from the hr team i would imagine so so where where does the hr department fit in bill how how can hr pros help to change the mindset of leaders on an ongoing basis not just while you're there doing the workshop hr plays a really important role because sometimes they're the ones that are willing to hold the mirror up to the organization when it is living outside of its values they also have a radar screen about what's going on outside of the company itself that the company might need to pay attention to. So for example, right now in HR, there's a lot of emphasis on the idea of psychological safety. Well, the reason that psychological safety is so important is because when you create a safe environment, people are willing to assert themselves. They're willing to raise their hand and offer an innovative idea. They're willing to give candid feedback to each other, and they're willing to give candid feedback upward in the organization. So HR sees things outside the organization that needs to be brought into the organization so that the organization can live its own values. So if a company says, hey, we have a value of courage, or we want people to be innovative, then you need to be able to enable that, and HR becomes the radar screen to find out what's going on outside that they might be able to bring inside. They played a, a really, they continue to play a very important role in holding leaders accountable to their own value system. Quote here to read off from a, from a recent article, a June 2021 article that you, that you wrote for, on LinkedIn. Uh, so bear with me, Bill, bear with me, listeners. I'll get to my point once I finish reading it. Um, so in the article, you, you write... I've been fortunate to have traveled the world facilitating courage building workshops. I cataloged much of what I've learned working with global leaders in my book, Courage Goes to Work. One of the fundamental principles I've learned is that when managers stop leading with fear and begin infusing courage into the workplace, there is a dramatic and positive effect that impacts everyone. The transformation is powerful and worth the shift in mindset and approach managers bring to the team and the company. Bill. To start with, what do you mean when you talk about managers who lead through fear? You know, it's unfortunate that fear is still the primary means of motivating people to get things done. And the reason for that is because fear does work in the short term. I mean, how many of us have used fear to get our own kids to stop doing something that we didn't want them to do? Well, we do the same thing in the workplace. When we're in a leadership role, we often in fear people the opposite of the word encouragement, in fear them, by injecting them with fear and anxiety. Our motive is in the right place because we want to try to heighten people's conscientiousness so that they don't drop the ball. So we'll give them the task, whatever you do, don't drop this bar, ball or else. And we add that little, you know, or else at the end of the directive. But what that does is it puts fear inside of people and displaces their courage at the same time. It causes them to be dis encouraged. On the other hand, when you don't inject people with fear and anxiety and instead put courage inside of them, the translation of the word encouragement, instead of focusing on dropping the ball, you focus on let's keep the ball up in the air. So it's a different focus. Instead of focusing on the negative consequences going to happen if you drop the ball, you focus on the positive consequences of when they do the activity the right way consistently. So you get an entirely different culture. And it comes down to me, a simple question, Bill. Would you rather have people scurrying around, squirrely in their own skin, afraid that they're going to get things wrong all the time, and therefore 
sublimating the best of themselves, not raising their hand, not asserting themselves, not offering ideas? Or would you rather put courage in them and have them be more innovative, show more initiative, be more accountable, raise their hand and say, I volunteer to solve that problem? I mean, which employee would you rather have? Somebody who was full of fear or somebody who had courage and confidence? Well, exactly. I, mean, I, I started my career back in, gosh, when was it now? Uh, 2006-ish, I think. Um, and frankly, I've, I've had some managers, I've had some leaders who who did use the, the stick over the, the carrot, so to speak. And um, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, heck, I, I, had, I had motivation, sure. But um, that was a motivation which often led to burnout. It, it led to anxiety. It led to stress. I've got a lot of gray hairs. I shouldn't have this many gray hairs. I'm still under 40, Bill. Um, and, and it's interesting because it's, it's interesting because we don't often talk about leadership through fear anymore. You know, in, in the 2010s and now into the 2020s, the, the conversations that I usually have are about um, inclusivity and encouragement and so on and so forth. But I guess it does still exist out there. And I, I guess there is still an education to be had. Can you point to any particular industries you think perhaps um uh maybe a bit more old school still when it comes to that kind of leadership style i mean i'll, I'll give you an example okay I, a few months ago I, I interviewed a chap who's a warden at a, at a prison okay now i'm guessing i'm guessing a guy like him <laughs> there needs to be a little bit of fear with, within within the leadership practices because you know if things go bad they go really bad and, and therefore employees need to know that they, they can't afford to let anything go bad but from your experiences, are, are there are there perhaps industries which are perhaps lagging behind that? That's that's me injecting that that bias term in there compared to other sectors, other other industries which are perhaps more forward thinking, more positive. I, I suppose that there are some industries that lag behind in terms of still using the stick because they use the stick for so long that it's all they know. And to make a shift from sort of self-interest to the interest of the other person is a really hard shift to make. A lot of industries are attached to sort of a hierarchical structure of authority. And so authority becomes really important for keeping control, quote unquote. Um, I think of law enforcement. Law enforcement is having to make a really big shift, certainly in the United States. And it's not an easy one to make, uh, one where it is less reliant on control and authority and more about building relationships within the communities within you, which you reside. Uh, and there are some law enforcement uh, you know, municipalities and local law enforcement that are making strides to get out into the community and build relationship with your neighbors and such so that it, instead of having them be afraid of you, that they have respect for you. Uh, that's true uh, in some of my clients in construction. Construction's an old school industry. It's one where you got, you know, it's almost like set up like a fiefdom. You have the owner of the company, then you've got some senior executives, you've got field people that are getting the job done at the field. And at the field level, sort of pointing a finger in an apprentice's face and saying, you're going to do it this way, is old school. Uh, and yet, even in both in law enforcement and in construction, there are more contemporary ways of leading that I'm seeing more often. Uh, which is fortunate. So the, the shift is being made, but there is still some industries lagging behind. And that pre presents opportunity for people to exercise their courage. And, you know, leadership is one of these sort of approximations. We do the best we can. We show up one day and we're not the best leader that we'd like to be. And then we show up the next day and we try to make improvements over how we responded 
yesterday. So leadership involves improvement, and there are improvements that are necessary in some industries, and the good news is they're starting to make them. Okay, now I'm going to come at you again with my own personal biases. I reckon it's got to be a heck of a challenge in an industry like construction, no? Is, is that not still a, an industry which is dominated by that machismo kind of attitude, you know, very male-dominated perhaps, um, and and the idea of, of showing your, your vulnerability as a leader? That must be a really difficult sell, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and I have to say I've got a considerable amount of – uh, experience in this because I've, I've got a lot of clients that are in the construction space and, and here's how I'll, I'll characterize it. Um, I have one of my clients that they had a spat of safety instances, uh, incidences, including a few that resulted in death. And this became a huge moment in the company. And so they brought in an outside consulting firm. And what the consulting firm found, interestingly, was that part of the reason that there were, uh, was a spat of mistakes, and in this case, even safety instances that caused death, is because people were so afraid of making a mistake that whenever they made one or whenever there was a near miss, they had hiding behavior. They hid because they were so afraid of having their heads roll if they made a mistake because their leaders were so punishing. So it meant that the organization had made it dangerous to make any mistakes at all to the point that people feel, felt that they had to hide in their behavior. And where they had to make the shift was to develop a culture of caring, where we had safety because we cared to make sure that each person went home safely at night. And then they started to evaluate, what is my own relationship to safety? Because here we are pointing our finger in the faces of the people in the field that need to be more courageous, but I smoke and I text message when I'm driving. And they started to, you know, assess how safe am I really within this company? It became a big cultural shift so that when mistakes were made in the future, it became a learning event that you would coach people into new behaviors instead of punishing them or firing them. And then their safety instances went down as a result of creating a culture of caring. I want to add one other piece to this is that I had the senior, actually the owner of one of the construction companies I lead, uh, came up on stage with me. We were in front of about 300 people at a town hall, and I asked him, what's something you appreciate now, owner of this construction company, that you didn't fully appreciate earlier in your leadership career? And he said one important word, humility, humility. He says, the longer I go on, the more I realize listening to people, attending to people, caring uh, for those people, and the more I get off my high horse and recognize leadership is about helping people be successful, the better this company does. I thought that was a really interesting insight. I love that. And uh, I think this is the first show we've ever done, which is largely geared towards the construction industry. Let, let's pull it back and, and, and uh, widen out a wee bit. Um, I'd, I'd actually like to talk with you a little bit about the uh, about your about your book, Courageous Leadership. And, and within it, you divide courage into three buckets, Bill. Try, trust and tell courage. What, what are what are some examples of each? So. When I wrote Courage Goes to Work, there had been some other books written about courage, some of the main, most famous books of all time, actually. Uh, Profiles in Courage by John F. Kennedy won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, the Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Ambrose. Uh, and then John McCain wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Why Courage Matters. 
But all of those books tend to look at a certain domain of courage, often military courage or political courage. And, and my insight was that regardless of what domain you're operating, courage itself manifests itself in similar ways. And what I call the three buckets of courage. Try courage is stepping up to the plate to do something facing the unknown that you've never done before. Other people may have done this thing, but for you, it's the first time you're experiencing it. It's a pioneering event. So the first time you drove a car, for example, you try, that's trying something you hadn't done before. Or maybe you drove a motorcycle. Uh, the first time you raised your hand and said, you know, I think I'd like to go on the management track and lead people, that was a try courage moment. Anytime that you have initiative and take action, it's typically a try courage moment, which is contrasted with trust courage. Trust courage is not the courage of action. Sometimes it's the courage of inaction, releasing my need to control and my need to be right. This is the courage of vulnerability and emotional exposure. An example of this in the workplace would be learning how to delegate. I can't tell you how I have to think, Bill, it's the, actually the most common malady that I experience with new leaders is the inability to delegate because they want to try to do everything themselves. And so they hyper-control and micromanage people. But if you don't learn how to get to delegation so that you can leverage yourself by entrusting others, you'll never build strong relationships with them, uh, with them and you'll plateau your career. The third bucket of courage is what I call tell courage. It's the one that we most commonly think of when we ask people for examples of courage in the workplace, they'll be like, well, when that person confronted the boss or when the, when the person said something to a bully. Tell courage is the courage of voice and assertiveness. It's the courage of the truth teller. It's the courage of not biting your tongue to go along and get along, but to stand in your truth and to assert it. Each bucket of courage comes with a risk, which is why we typically avoid it. With try courage, the risk is I could take this action and wipe out and hurt myself. With trust courage, I could entrust you and you could betray me. And with tell courage, I could tell the truth that I'm experiencing and you might not like that truth, especially if it is a group that I'm disagreeing with and you might cast me out of the group. So in each case, you have to assume some risk in order to experience try, trust or tell courage. All right. Thank you very much. Bill, the problem with recording podcast interviews like this, which are in the region of 25 minutes, is that they only last around 25 minutes. And we are already pretty much at the end. Before we do wrap up, um, firstly, I'd love to invite you back onto the show if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. I'd love to come back. We've got plenty of leadership stuff to talk about. Right. That, that's why we should have done a longer show maybe today. Uh, but we'll get you back on. Um, and uh, I'd also love now just to invite you to tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and also the amazing stuff that you get up to over at Giant Leap Consulting. Well, terrific. They can get in touch with me at BillTreasurer.com or CourageBuilding.com. They can find my book, Courage Goes to Work, at CourageGoesToWork.com. And if you just Google me, you're bound to find something. Hopefully good stuff, not just bad stuff. Everything I read was good, Bill. So you're doing well. That's good SEO. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> that just leads me to say for today, Bill Treasurer, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Bill, honestly, it's my pleasure to be part of the HR Chat Show, and I hope to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast. 
brought to you by the HR Gazette.